Hello and welcome to the Sojourners in the Storm Bible Study Podcast. Today we are going to be covering Mark chapter 6 verses 30 through 44. And uh, the title of this message is Jesus Feeds the Five Thousands. So with that, let's get set. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for another opportunity to share your word. Father, I pray that you would just go before each and every one of us today, Lord, as we um, you know, get set to delve into the word, Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak, Lord, that none of my words would come forth, but all of yours. Father, I pray that you would just use this ministry as a means of edifying us, as bringing people to to you, Lord. And Father, that um, you would just open doors today. Father, I thank you, and I pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the greatest tools that we have in believers, as believers in the word of God and the truth behind Jesus Christ's life and ministry is the fact that the apostles often faced doubts of unbelief. Now, why, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. Well, what sets the Bible apart from any other religious book, and in particular the New Testament, is the fact that it was written by contemporaries of Jesus, more specifically by those that were closest to him during his lifetime. Now, what we see when we look into the events of the Gospels are specific events where the gospel, or, or the apostles, or the disciples, the twelve, were struggling to believe and were often rebuked. Now, anybody that was writing an account of history after the death of a person would certainly have the liberty to change stories to make themselves out to be heroes, or even paint themselves in a picture of perfection. But this is the opposite of what we see in the Gospels. You know, we see many times where the, the apostles and the disciples failed. We see them be selfish, we see them be envious, uh, covetous, even cowardly. And these events are mentioned in more than one gospel account. You know, men can be fickle. Uh, we are oft, uh, all often are shaken by events in our lives. New situations may arise in our daily lives and so forth. This does not and is not a means of us losing our salvation, but there are times when God was using something in our lives to draw us closer to him. You know, as we continue in uh, chapter 6 of Mark, we are going to take a look at some of the times that the apostles failed, when their faith failed them, and how Jesus used those moments as a means of moving their focus from the troubles around them back to the center point of their faith. That is Jesus, who is the deliverer from all evils and worldly troubles. So let's get into it. Mark chapter 6 verse 30 says, then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both that they had done and, that, and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So one thing that we learn in this is that ministry is filled with peaks and valleys. You know, in the, test, in the text, we have been studying in, in chapter 6, uh, so far, how Jesus returned to Nazareth and was rejected. He then moved to some of the smaller areas and began preaching there in the region. We have seen him commission, empower, and send out his ambassadors, the apostles, into the regions in teams of two to preach the gospel and heal as well. You know, last week we were given a, a look into the murder of John the Baptist. Not really a chronological event that took place, but it was sort of a means of something to read while the apostles were on their missions. Now, it's like when you bake bread or something. 
And while it's in the oven, you're just kind of waiting around to see what comes uh, out. And you find a distraction, right? Not that this was an overwhelming distraction, but it was a story that was important for us to fully get a grip on what was going on at the time. You see, the death of John the Baptist gives us a look at the temperature of the culture at that time. You know, things were growing increasingly more dangerous politically. As we saw, Herod start to become unnerved by Jesus' presence as well. As uh, we will see in the next chapter, the religious leaders start to ramp up their fury against our Lord. Now, at this point, we see the apostles return from their missions that uh, as they return from their uh, missions that Jesus had sent them on, they begin to explain all the things that had happened to them. It was probably like a list of praise reports followed by a list of towns and places that rejected them. Now, this is a hard thing to explain about ministry. Often when you go out and teach, there's a feeling of failure that comes with the completion of the task. Now, I think it's something that's inside of all of us that reminds us that we are flawed and imperfect and often fail. Now, on the other hand, when you teach, all preparation is done in, player, in prayer and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit as you study, as you write, as you try to articulate words in a way that makes sense. Now, when you do the actual teaching, often there are attacks taking place spiritually, sometimes physically, as you're trying to get the words out and give truth. You know, many times when you finish, the response is minimal from the listeners, and that can be discouraging. Now, I don't know how many times I taught in the assisted living homes here in Los Lunas, New Mexico, uh, and finished and looked up and the only person awake was the, uh, that, that was in the room was the other person that came to minister with me. You know, the important thing to remember in all of this is that God is using you. He has put you there to do that specific task for those specific people and that failure is not on the part of the messenger. You know, the message will get across. The word says that his word will not return void. You know, at some point somebody's going to hear what they need to hear. You know, the difference between what the apostles saw and what we see today is the fact that people were desperate for God and realized it. Where today, people are desperate for God, but fill the void with many different gods of this world. You know, if we look back at verse 7 in Mark uh, chapter 6, and it said, And he called to the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. You know, we can start to paint a picture of what their ministry looked like. Uh, there are and were many people that are oppressed and possessed by demons, by, physically dis uh, by physical disabilities, and so on. When the apostles went out to minister, they are not given a record of what took place. We are not given a record of what took place. Uh, we're only given the fact that they were sent and returned. Now, I believe that as they went out and encountered these uh uh, these people uh, and preached and ministered to them that they may have been met with some resistance, some skepticism, and maybe even some unbelief, but the authority to heal and deliver people from demonic influence and possession would have been something that brought people to the Lord and gave the, uh, and this gave them, the apostles, the encouragement in their missions. Now I heard a story about a preacher that went out into India and preached the gospel to a massive crowd uh, of the Indian people out there. The entire message took four hours as he taught for two hours in English and then a translator would come in and translate. Uh, it, it took it into their native tongue and so the whole thing took about four hours, right? Now at the end he gave an altar call and nobody responded. 
and he started to question his purpose there. Then he remembered how Jesus in the Gospels would perform uh, a miracle to affirm the message. And so he began to pray for the Holy Spirit to move in the people, to remove the demons that haunted the possessed and heal the sick. You know, after a while, he gave another altar call, altar call, and this time people were responding in droves, even jumping out of trees and going forward. They were crying out in their native tongue, we want Jesus, we want Jesus. You know, sometimes the first miracle is healing and the second is salvation. I think this is what the, the apostles encountered. And so when they returned to Jesus, they explained these things to him. Now this would be a peak, but a valley would still be those that rejected them. Again, we have no record of anybody rejecting them, but I am sure if it, ha it, it happened, if Jesus being omnipotent, you know, all-knowing, sent them out with the expectation of it, that would be a valley in ministry, especially because you are not sent out for your benefit, for your uh, popularity or fame, but you are sent out in regards to others and on behalf of their souls and salvation. Now, one of the hard parts about real ministry is that it never takes breaks. You know, Jesus instructed the apostles to go to a deserted place and rest, but that rest was short-lived as the crowds approached. You know, Chuck Smith once said, and I'm paraphrasing, that when we accept the Lord, we all become members of full-time ministry. We are all always on the clock, so to speak. When it comes to ministering uh, to others, and just because you work in a church does not separate you in any way, we are all to be about doing the Lord's work. Now, that being said, there are a few things to look at in this statement. It, in this statement. The first thing is rest is important for the workers in the kingdom of God. You know, the amount of hours necessary for a person to give a 45-minute sermon is innumerable. Sometimes a passage will speak to your heart, and you can speak for days with little prep. And sometimes you've got to dig deep and really root out things and principles in the Word. Either way, it's hard work. You know, Skip Heitzig says that teaching for one hour is equivalent to an eight-hour workday as far as exhorted energy, and I believe him. You know, Jesus often retreated to the mountains to pray alone and be alone and rest. His instructions here were for the men to take time and rest. You know, this Bible study takes weeks off now and then to rest. Our pastor here in Los Lunas just last week was in Florida getting some rest. Now, uh, you know, rest is not an option. Rest is necessary to avoid complete burnout. The second thing we need to look at is there are always needs among the people. As important as rest is, we must use it as an opportunity to recharge and be ready. Because just as verse 31 says, there are always people to be ministered to. You know, we live in active faith. And if we make resting a vocational pursuit, we will cease to be useful. We have to be able to divide our time wisely and be able to recharge as well as redeploy. You know, one pastor I heard recently said, God blesses your footprints, not your butt prints. You know, I both agree and disagree with that because rest is necessary and is a blessing, but we should not give time for the couch to grow around us because we need to keep moving forward. Verse 32 says, So they departed uh, to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, but the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. So rest in ministry is often short, as there is much work to be done. 
Jesus instructed his apostles to take rest in a deserted place. Luke's gospel tells us that they began to do so and departed by boat to a deserted area. In Luke chapter 9 verse 10 it says, And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to a city called Bethsaida. You know, oftentimes we may set out to rest or reserve time to rest, but we are met with divine appointments instead. You know, in this case, it is much of the same. The apostles went with Jesus to find a place to rest, to find restoration, but instead were followed by the crowd to the area that they were in. It says that the people came on foot and ran there from the city surrounding them. Now, we aren't given a timeline of how long the apostles were gone from the region or even Jesus as he was in the surrounding villages, but I can assume that the people were hungry for his presence. You know, do you ever get that way when you just get so busy or so distracted with life that you feel like you're, you're far from God and just need that fellowship with him to get right? You know, I'm thinking this is how the people in the surrounding areas were. These folks were so desperate for Jesus that the word tells us that they arrived before the boats did. Now, can you imagine if people were able to get to church before the third worship song? You know, if church starts at 10, people shoot for 10:15 nowadays. You know, it bears the question, are we as sold out and desperate for Jesus the way the people in this day were, or are we just there because it's the Christian thing to do? You know, we need Jesus because we need forgiveness. We need a guiding principle in our lives. And he is the only one that can provide that. We are all in need of direction, wisdom, and affirmation. You know, we find def uh, direction in his character. We find wisdom in his word. And we find affirmation in the cross on which he hung for us, out of love for us, to save us. Therefore, we must run to him as these folks did. Chap uh, verse 34 says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. You know, the purpose of ministry is to lead sheep to the shepherd. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. David wrote in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, all men are sheep. We are all looking to follow somebody or something. If you have ever raised sheep, you will learn that sheep are adaptable to their surroundings. You know, we have had sheep growing up that took on personalities of cows because they were in the pen with the cows. We've had a goat once. Goats are not much different from sheep. That was rejected by its mother. We had to bottle feed it to raise it. We gave it a dog collar. It began to think it was a dog. You know, it learned to chase cars, to rush the front door to the house swim with the dogs in the back to uh, irrigation ditch. And that thing would go ham when somebody came into the yard, when the dogs would go barking at the car, there goes the goat just bleeding around and kicking and, and bucking. It was the funniest thing ever. You know, that thing even learned to ride in the back seat of my truck when we would take him places. You know, sheep take on the personalities of their masters. 
Jesus is the master that we as sheep should be following. Jesus takes us to the greater, to the greener pastures. He takes us into the fold for protection against the enemy. And he even died for us to save us from the punishment and death that we deserve. You know, he cares for us. He looks after us. He tends to us. You know, when it says that he saw the multitude and had compassion for them, it is sort of an understatement because there are so many of them uh, there to there to seek him out. In John chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now imagine a crowd so large and vast that you have to go up on a mountain to see them all. You know, it's no wonder Jesus has to look down on his flock now from heaven. All of us need him, whether we know it or not, and he sees and has compassion on all of us. You know, he began to teach them many things. Jesus never wasted an opportunity to preach the gospel, and neither should we. We all know there is a need for the truth in the world today, but also there is a need for the willingness to share the truth and lead people to it. The gospel is not just for Americans or the church or the Westerners, but it is for every man, woman, and child here, uh, you know, from here to the ends of the earth. He died for all of us, and he is for all of us. We must be willing to look with compassion on others and lead them to the shepherd because the op other option for them is to follow the world. Now, in order for other sheep to be willing to follow those sheep trying to lead them to the shepherd, the leader must be in submission to the shepherd as well. You know, our witness and our testimony must match our claims in order to be authentic. Verse 35, When this day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out, they, they, they said, five, uh, five loaves and two fish. You know, the work of ministry takes place in both the spiritual as well as the physical realm. Now, we've reached a point in the day where the daytime hours are starting to wane. You know, it's about evening time. I think the disciples are tired, as well as the people who have traveled and, and even ran to meet the Lord in the wilderness. Now, I think what happened to them as well, as, as what often happens to us, is that their stomachs began to rumble. And they were not in much of a mood for further company, as far as the disciples go, right? They were kind of spent. They were tired. Now, one of the staples of serving others is putting the needs of others before your own. I think when the disciples looked at the crowd, they probably perceived and maybe even heard the grumblings of the hungry people as well and began to think about some way to get them taken care of. Um, the problem was that they were thinking along the lines of human means and forgetting that they uh, had Jesus present who was capable of all things. Warren Wiersbe writes this, The disciples had two suggestions for solving the problem. Either send the people away to find their own food or raise enough money to buy a bit of bread for everybody. As far as the disciples were concerned, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time and nothing could be done. What kind of approach? Uh, with that kind of approach, they could have made ideal committee members. 
Someone has defined a committee as a group of people who individually can do nothing and collectively decide that nothing can be done. You know, think about that. Jesus, on the other hand, was looking at this situation as a means of glorifying the Father in heaven and using the opportunity to do just so. He was looking for anything that he could use in order to show the power of God in the everyday lives of men. You know, we see in John's account, uh, the following discussions play, take place. John chapter 6 verse 4 says this, Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, said to Philip, Where shall we buy, uh, buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he, what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? You know, the lens in which Philip was looking was the lens of, of earthly doubt. He saw the situation as impossible. Now, if we think about it and boil it down, 200 denarii was equivalent to a year's wages for the average person. You know, where in the world would they find that kind of money? Now, if they found the money, who has that much bread on hand? You know, the mission was, in fact, impossible in his eyes. When Jesus sends them out, it is Andrew who returns with the fish and the loaves. And you see his response. What are they among so many? How would that be enough to feed so many people? What, uh, what they were not anticipating is the connection between uh, being met between human efforts and divine multiplication. In verse 39 it says, Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups of, uh, on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to meet, to, to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all, so they all ate and were filled. You know, God blesses and uses the efforts of his laborers to the fullest extent. Now what looked like a bleak meal in the eyes of the apostles ended up being a feast for thousands. Five barley loaves and two small fish may have been enough to fill a boy, but not the immense crowd in front of them. You know, the time of this event was springtime, as we see that the grass was green, and the seating was optimal for the people. When the groups are divided into fifties, some say it means a, a of it was a means of dividing the people into a messianic army and putting them in ranks. But both Old and New Test uh, Old Testament scriptures and the Dead Sea Scrolls indicate that the seating arrangement was a way of distributing food to the groups in a more efficient way. Now, when Jesus takes the fish and the loaves, he looks up to heaven which is a customary way of praying and giving thanks to the Lord above for the provisions that he has given his people. You know, we should always be thankful of everything that the Lord has given us. It was customary to give thanks as the bread was broken at the dinner table. It is here that the miracle takes place in Jesus' hands. Now take a look at how the bread gets to the people. Jesus breaks the bread and gives it to the disciples to set before the people. When Jesus told them earlier and earlier on, you give them something to eat, you know, he really meant that they were going to be the ones that were doing the serving. 
You know, they were going to bless others through the blessings that Jesus had placed in their hands. That is another principle of ministry. Take what God gives you and give it to others. You know, when the world sees so little, God will take that little and multiply it. When the efforts are given to the willing, uh, given by the willing. You know, we read so much in scripture about times when God provides for his people when the situation is bleak. It requires a measure of trust and a willingness to trust in him to make the difference. You know, <clears throat> it is something that Israel had to do in the wilderness when God provided them each day with manna. If a person took more than was necessary, the manna would, if you remember, would become rancid and had worms in it. Another example we see of this is in 2 Kings. Um, 2 Kings, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 4, verse 42 says, Then a man came from Baal, Shalisha, and brought the, the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, Give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, What? Shall I set this before one hundred men? He said again, Give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Now Elisha, uh, Elisha <clears throat> doubted God's word. But the man from Baal-Shalisha brought the message and gave the effort, and God blessed it. You know, if we were to put just a little bit of effort into the building of the kingdom of God and allow God to bless it, can you imagine what he could do with us? You know, the harder we work for his glory, the more we will see what we can do. You know, if uh, we consider the lad that had the five loaves and the fish, he is given all that he had. Now, that's immense, knowing that his sacrifice would go to all the people gathered there, and he would go without. But what's the key to, to, to ministry? One key to ministry is putting others ahead of yourself for the sake of the kingdom of God. You know, the more we give with the intentions of glorifying God, the more we will be able to make progress through his blessing and multiplying in a dying world. The disciples went out and distributed the food to the large crowd. Now, can you imagine waking up, uh, walking, well, basically walking from group to group, if they uh, were all divided up into groups of 50s and 100s, we know there were about 5,000 men there, and having baskets of bread, uh, of bread and fish that just do not go empty as you pass it around? Could you imagine what that would have been like for the disciples who were just... Moments before, doubting what was going to happen, doubting that they could feed all these people, and suddenly they have these baskets in their hands, and they're walking around, and you're thinking, man, five loaves among 50 people. What does everybody get like a pinch and like a fish scale, you know? And, and all these people are filling up, and, and there's even uh, returns coming back to them, right? The apostles had to be thinking that their eyes were misleading them as they went from group to group. It would have... Uh, been a hundred groups had it been just divided into fifties, but we know that there were hundreds as well. Verse 44 tells us that these men, that, uh, that these were men only that were counted. The question of how many women and children were present looms, as we know that the number would have exceeded 5,000 in total. Now look at this. In verse 43, it says, And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. 
Now the, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. You know, when the Lord provides and blesses his people, expect leftovers. Now look at the final tally. 12 baskets, one for each doubting apostle to carry back up the mountain as their bellies were also full and present to the Lord, who the whole time was just waiting to see the look on their face. You know, not as a means of mocking them, but to see how they would respond to the lesson at hand. Now, I remember an audio file from Bible College from Chuck Smith. You know, he was telling about the early days in ministry when he and his wife were struggling to stay afloat. Now, one night they had prayed for some money that they could go and buy dinner and eat and were able to come up with like 30 cents. Now, we got to remember this is the, like the 1960s or 1950s when this was taking place. 30 cents would take you a long way back then. Um, he said that they went to the grocery store and they got like a tin of carrots and, and some beans or something like that. Now, when they got to the register, the cashier presented them with a $10 coupon for anything in the store. You know, Chuck said that he looked at his wife and told her, we're going to the meat cabinet. When the Lord is paying, we're having steak. You know, we got to be faithful because God is faithful. As we see the record inflation taking place right now, I think we can all agree that the budget is getting tighter for all of us, right? I find myself praying for God's work in, in my life as well, and, and I see him giving extra hours at work and opening doors. It's amazing what God will do if you ask and are, are responsible with what he gives you. You know, we serve the God of the impossible, of the possible as well as the God of the, of the impossible. There is nothing that he cannot and will not do for us if we are obedient and willing. In Psalm 23, verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Think about that. My cup runs over. You overfill me with what you give me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, God's mercy and grace are always upon those that seek it. In fact, so much so that he will give more than we need. You know, when David writes, my cup runs over, we can look at his life and see that he was a man of many flaws, but he is, was always actively seeking God. He was praying and working through his issues with God, and God seek, uh, and, and God's mercy was, on, uh, was abundant towards him. You know, even in giving his bloodline to be the royal throne, uh, giving his bloodline the royal throne, which would bring about Jesus, right? Now, Jesus did th uh, two things for us on that day. One he did immediately for the crowd, and one he did eternally in, in, the, in this lesson. First, he fed them spiritually. You know, John, we read, in John, we read that he used this opportunity to preach his message on the day after the great feast. You know, we read in John 6 that the disciples parted, uh, parted on by boat, probably to get the rest that Jesus had prescribed them and reflect on the miracle. Jesus went to Capernaum where he is greeted by a crowd looking for another miracle and bread. When Jesus gives them this statement, we read it in John chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. 
And the, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all uh, of all he has given me, I should, should lose nothing, but should raise it up to at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You know, the word also tells us that as the, depart, the, the disciples departed, one of the reasons that Jesus sent them out was because the crowd that was there, the crowd that got fed, the 5,000, were ready to come and take Jesus and make him king by force. So that's another reason that the, the disciples were sent out to rest, and they were also sent out because they were not ready for that test. But Jesus gives a message. You know what? I am the bread of life. You might have showed up to this day hungry, but I fed you, not only with bread and fish, but with the word of God. And so the people that would respond to that were the ones that would be saved, that would never be hungry, because you know that God provides. But at the same time, there were many that didn't believe that. They had a wrong perception of Jesus, and they were sent away. You see, it's not uh, nourishment that we should be seeking from God, but God himself. There is nothing more sustaining in this world than our relationship with God. Our physical needs should always be secondary to our spiritual needs. It is God who decides when our physical needs should be met in order to strengthen our spiritual standing. Now, the second thing that Jesus did was he gave the disciples and the onlookers a lesson in servanthood. Now, think about this. Although we do not know the name of the boy, and I think that's the point here, we can see that his sacrifice of just his lunch became an opportunity for him to glorify God. Today's world is so caught up in likes and follows that I think we have forgotten what it's like to just go in and do the work. You know, I remember hearing stories about great leaders and servants of the Lord doing the dirty work in order to serve God's people. People like Chuck Smith cleaning the parking lots of cigarette butts before and after service and unplugging toilets in the church. You know, we know their names now but how many do, uh, don't know the names of those that come through and lay the groundwork for them to get saved we may not know the boy's name that gave us uh, that gave of his fish and loaves but someday we'll meet him in heaven and who knows this story taught by somebody or even read in the privacy of your own quiet time may have been what led a person to the Lord and therefore are on his account you know, just that little bit that he gave was all it took for Jesus to use and give to glorify God. You know, we should never be as the apostles were and doubt what God can do for us if we first just trust in him. You know, our entire existence and salvation is based on our trust in his forgiveness of our sins on account of our belief in him. Why would we ever let anything like the provision of a meal be a means of unbelief? You know, Jesus said, at, and we'll end with this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put in it, uh, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value uh, of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of, the, one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, if we are faithful servants of the Lord and put our trust in him, he will meet our needs and fill us spiritually as well as physically so that we may go out and distribute his blessings to others. Father God, Lord, thank you for, you know, this passage of scripture, Lord. Father, we thank you for all that you provide for us, Lord. The things that we see and the things that we don't see, Lord, you're always moving in our lives. And Father, I just pray that we would recognize those times, Lord, and just praise you even more and give you even more glory, Lord. Just knowing that you're there, knowing that you're working in our lives, and knowing that you're helping us in each and every way. Father, I thank you for being the bread of life, Lord. That as we've eaten of you, Lord, that as we have come to understand and consume your word, Lord, that we're never hungry, that we're never thirsty, Lord. That we know that you're there, that you're always working for us and advocating for us, Father. Lord, I thank you so much for that. Lord, um, I just pray that you would go before each and every one of us this week, Lord that you would bless us, that you would teach us, and that you would use us. Father, I thank you. I pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.